Well, happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Kind of loses something, doesn't it? For those not familiar with this saying, it's a back and forth. This is a responsive uh, calling out. And either I have been on the beginning end of it by saying it is risen, or I've been in the congregation with the response, it is risen indeed. And it seems very weird to say that out. I know Mark tried to do that today out in the grassy knoll, and he he got to yell it out, and and maybe got some responses back, but it was much quieter than than what we're used to. Uh, It's just not the same without you here. This is an empty room, or mostly empty room. You see, I think both Pastor Mark and myself have been feeling the very real distance between us and our congregation, you. I came back this past week and preached my first live stream sermon. And many, many pastors around the country did the same thing. But this isn't how I imagined my first live stream sermon to be. I, I kind of figured it would be the extension of what me and Christian had been working on with our video ministry instead of a let's get this together as fast as we possibly can just so that we can have some semblance of meeting together. I thought it would be an augmentation of what we already had, not a desperation of still connecting us in some way in this time of quarantine. My last time I came off sabbatical, I I did a lot of the same things I did here. You know, I I came and I worshiped with us. But there's something different about coming up and preaching and then afterwards just getting to be the pastor around all of you again. And and I missed that last week because last week there was part of my family who was here and there was Alana who was working the the slides and, and that was it. And it was weird. It was very, very strange. We, we walked out of here, and while we were here at the church, we walked out, and, and it seemed like it was so much later just because it felt like we were the last ones leaving. And while my family usually is one of the last ones leaving, it's usually like 1 o'clock. And we were leaving very shortly after we had finished the video live stream because nobody else was here. You do feel the difference. Surreal is an understatement. There is just something about a physical presence that can't be replaced. No matter how many views we might get on Facebook or how many more people might see our our videos on heightschristian.org and and be connected to us. And by the way, I I don't want to take away the blessing that has come through this. Um, I know this has connected a lot of people who might have felt even more isolated than before. And we've been able to connect with people through our live stream in in ways that that we want to continue after this time is over. Because those who aren't able to congregate with us on a regular basis, or for those who are out of town, or those who are sick, or those who are just homebound, this new way of sharing is a huge blessing. And I recognize that. But I miss all of you guys. I really do. You see, we were created for relationship. Relationship. The first time that we see in the scripture that something is not good is when Adam is naming all the animals and he never finds a suitable helper for himself and the Lord God says it is not good that man should be alone, but he needs a helpmate. And so some people would say, well, we have Jesus, so we're never really alone. And one of the things I think that we overlook in this passage in Genesis is that Adam 
had Jesus there too. As a matter of fact, I truly believe that there was the pre-incarnate Christ there present at the beginning of Genesis because when the fall does take place and then they take that unfortunate bite of the fruit that would condemn all mankind to sin and condemn us to death. It says when they heard the Lord God walking in the garden, they went and hid. Well, if God is spirit, there's no reason to hear him walking in the garden. I believe this is a pre-incarnate Christ. So here we have, at the beginning of time, Adam naming all the animals. And though there's a pre-incarnate Christ who is there, and we have the Father, we have the Son, we have the Holy Spirit, in fellowship with Adam, God still says, it is not good for man to be alone. Because we were made to have fellowship with one another and with God. And while we need Christ for salvation, we need the touch that only a physical presence can give us as well. My wife, when she was uh, having our first child, Victoria, um, she was... In labor for 30 hours, but she wasn't having the baby because Tori didn't want to come out. She had the umbilical cord wrapped around her, not in a life-threatening way, but like a backpack. So basically, she was bungee jumping, but she wasn't leaving. And so what happened was after 30 hours, they realized that that wasn't going to, nothing was going to change. And they had to do an emergency C-section, which means I, I couldn't be a part of my, my daughter's birth in the in the delivery room itself and so they went in for the emergency c-section and one of the things we want to do is make sure that we had our family together first but while shannon was recovering she came out and things were were pretty hard and she was unsettled and her arms were flailing about and she was moaning because she was in pain and didn't know and was disoriented where she was her mom was a uh, a nurse and she went in there and she she talked with her and I was able to go in there uh, knowing that she was not doing that great but I wanted to be there by my wife's side so I went in and as I went in the room I walked up to her and I placed my hand on her shoulder and I just leaned into her and I said Shannon I'm here and to this day I don't know why or how this happened but as soon as I said those words a calmness all the flailing of her arms everything everything about that just stopped as she relaxed, as she, she was able to rest from there on out. There is something about a physical touch. See, my wife knew in her mind and heart, even in that state right there, that I loved her, that I cared for her, that I'm there for her. She knew all of that. But that didn't give her any comfort at that time as she was coming out of this surgery where we had the, the blessing of our daughter being born. It wasn't until she had the physical touch of somebody who loved her that she could calm down. There is just something about that. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at that physical side of touch because touch has been kind of taken away from us. The last month has been really strange with us kind of avoiding one another and and not hugging one another and and not being in contact because we don't want to spread these germs and and while i understand that there's there's a toll that's being taken on each of us we feel out of sorts things don't seem right 
because touch is something God has created us for, and it's all about the existence of Jesus Christ who would come in the flesh. As a matter of fact, as we look at the life of Jesus, it's all about God wrapping himself in flesh and blood. And part of the responses of the things that we see in the scriptures are direct, uh, direct um, um, explanations, if you will, direct ways of refuting heresies that had started to come up during that time of Gnosticism that said God would never wrap himself up in the flesh because flesh was evil and wrong. But we read in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 1, that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we go down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and it says, And the Word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, or the only begotten, who became, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so we see from the very outset that it's John's intention to let them know that Jesus Christ truly did come and live in the flesh for us. But as we go into the resurrection, it's equally important to understand that the resurrection was an equally fleshly, touching experience. Three of the four Gospels have indications within there of touching Jesus as he's been raised from the dead. And we're going to look at some of those today. The first one we're going to look at is Luke chapter 24. Verses 36 through 43. A lot of times in Easter services, what we focus on is the empty tomb, and we should. But there are some things that we need to talk about concerning the resurrection of Jesus. At what point was it real for the disciples? And that's what we're going to look at today. And what elements needed to take place for them to truly understand. So chapter 24 begins with the empty tomb. And we see Peter, and we see John running to the tomb. And we see that the, the linen strips are there, and the tomb is empty, and they walk away. And, and it cuts to an account of two disciples who are walking on the road to Emmaus. And Jesus joins them on their journey and begins to talk about how he needed suffer and he needed to die. And they begged him to stay with them for the time, and he stays with them for dinner. And as he breaks the bread, their eyes are opened, and they recognize this has been Jesus the whole time, and he's, he's gone from their midst. And these two disciples who were on the road to Emmaus make their way back to the other disciples. And in doing so, this is where we pick up in verse 36. It says, and while they were still talking about this, this whole encounter that they had with Jesus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they, they had saw a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts raise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate in their presence. And so what we see in this passage of Scripture is that while they're talking about, the, these other disciples are talking about this encounter that they had with Jesus, Jesus appears among them. 
and he's startled. And I think all of us would be startled. Here's Jesus just all of a sudden there. But this isn't a ghost. And of course, why were they thinking it's a ghost? Because he just appeared among them. There's something different about this resurrection body. And so he appears among them and they're bewildered. And he says, look, I'm not a ghost because a ghost doesn't have flesh and bones. As you see, I have touch me, see that I'm real. And even that assurance wasn't enough. And so Jesus did the most human thing, the most human thing we could have asked anybody to do. He said, do you have anything to eat? Kind of reminds me of Noah. Not, not Noah in the scriptures, Noah in our congregation. So the idea of us just wanting something to eat. I'm hungry. I have some food. Can, can I have something to eat? It's the most human thing to ask for. And so I had a piece of broiled fish and they gave it to him and he ate. He's fully human. Different kind of human, but he's fully human. And those assurances are so very important for them to have believed because the appearance wasn't enough. They needed something to touch. Insomuch that we're told in John chapter 20 that this account here in Luke is with 10 of the 11 disciples that are left. Judas has already hung himself and he's no longer part of this picture. So we have the faithful disciples that are left. But obviously Thomas wasn't a part of this meeting. And so we look at the passage in John chapter 20 that that is so famous, so known to be famous because this is where he gets his name Doubting Thomas. So in John chapter 20 verses 24 through 29, it says this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. You know, I totally get where Thomas is coming from. Put yourself in Thomas' shoes for just a moment. Thomas is one of the 12 that Jesus chose to follow him, to be his disciples, to carry his message to the nations around. He has walked with Christ every step of the way, as have the other disciples. And like the other disciples, he deserted him on the day that Jesus was, was arrested and eventually crucified. He was most likely in hiding or running some errand or doing something else. The scripture doesn't say why he wasn't with the ten of them the time that Jesus appeared to them. But think about it. You have been a part of seeing that Jesus is the Messiah and proclaiming his Messiahship for three years now. One of twelve that Jesus had entrusted, though one was to betray him. 
And now 10 of these 11 who are left have had the opportunity to see Jesus resurrected in the flesh. And you didn't. It's, I don't know if, you've, if you think about missing something of significance, of importance that, that you wish that you were really there for, but you missed it. You had built it up. It might be the birth of one of your children. You hoped you could be there, but maybe you were out on deployment or someplace else. Something of significance. I wish I could be there. I really just missed out. And Thomas missed out on the biggest thing that's ever happened in the history of the world, the resurrection of Jesus, and he appeared before them. Why them and not him? He was just as committed. Why did Jesus appear to them and not him at that time? I can imagine all those things in his head. And at the same time, I can understand his whole idea. But unless I see for myself, I know you got to see. I know you got to see and touch and feel all of those things. But unless I see for myself his hands and the nails and feel his side, I'm not going to believe And by the grace of God, a week later, Jesus appears in the exact same way as he did before. To the other ten, appears, even though the room was locked, he appears among them, peace be with you. And he turns to Thomas and he says, here, take your hand, feel. Take your hand, feel my side. Stop doubting and believe and Thomas's response is simply, my Lord and my God, blessed are you because you've seen and believe and blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. See, this idea of a physical resurrection and that Jesus was there to touch humanity as God in the flesh was never lost on John in the years that would go on. As he wrote his, his epistle in 1 John, this is how he opens it. 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we've seen it, and testified to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, And has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. So that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father. And with his Son Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So as we talk about Jesus. What we've seen. What we have heard. What we have touched with our hands. Oh so important. That God would come as a man to sacrifice himself, to die on the cross, to be raised from the dead. And there's a lot of people who wonder, why? Why did it have to be this way? Why couldn't it have been another way? Couldn't have God just forgiven us from heaven? Couldn't he have just appeared in human form and said, hey, I'm here. I'm letting you know. I forgive you of all that has happened. Just believe in me. Couldn't he have done all of that? Why did he choose that way? I think some of it we will never really fully understand. God gives his explanation concerning the scripture as to why it needed to be that way. He talks about the penalty of sin. But he chose this way 
so that we would recognize Jesus when he came. As a matter of fact, we're told two things of why it had to be this way in Luke 24 as we continue reading that passage of Scripture. In Luke 24, verse 44 through 48, Jesus said to them, this is right after his appearance, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. And so Jesus in this passage says, why does it have to be this way? Well, there's two reasons. Number one is this. He said so that... Everything that is written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms would be fulfilled. In other words, God had already been revealing the identity of Jesus for hundreds of years before he showed up on the scene. Those of you who are part of our congregation know that we're in the middle of going through the Bible in five years. And we're about halfway done with it right now. And we've looked at uh, Old Testament prophets, we've looked at the Pentateuch, and it's amazing as we look through there, all the things that point to Jesus all the way back to Genesis. And we've been looking at that, and Jesus said, look, I've been talking to you from the beginning so that everything that is written about me is fulfilled, because God can't lie. This is the way it's got to be. And it's this way so that you will recognize who I am. And it says he opened their mind to the scriptures so they would be able to understand the scriptures. You'll remember, as, as the disciples had walked with Jesus this entire time, as we read through the Gospels, he mentioned many times that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die, and everybody took it figuratively. Nobody knew what he meant. Because the idea of somebody rising from the dead on their own power and on their own accord was unheard of. It is an act of God. And so now, with him raised from the dead, they see things in a whole new light. The second reason that's mentioned here so that the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. He's not just a sacrifice for sins for the Jewish people. He's the sacrifice for sins for everybody. No longer is there need for a sacrificial system because the Lamb of God has been sacrificed. And he's been raised from the dead so that he could show that repentance and forgiveness of sins flows through him. And his sacrifice on the cross where it fulfilled exactly what it says back in Genesis chapter 12 at the calling of Abraham where he says, look, I'm going to bless all nations through you and through your offspring. That offspring is Jesus. And all nations are blessed, not just the people of the the Jewish people. All of this is so that we might know who Jesus is. This is why it was done in this way. So that we would have a roadmap to recognize Jesus. 
John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, talk about the purpose. This is right after uh, the encounter with Thomas. And John decides to write the purpose of his gospel right here in these two verses. Where he says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It is through Jesus that we have life. And these things are written that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and have life in his name through his death and through his resurrection. And it's important to note that Jesus' resurrection is different than every resurrection that we see in the scriptures up until this point and after. Because the resurrection of other people, whether it be Lazarus, whether it be Jairus' daughter, whether it be the widow's son, whether we go back to the Old Testament, we see uh, Elisha and the raising of the widow's boy that is there. All of these resurrections that happen are not permanent resurrections. They're resurrections that are going to be dealt with with death again. That that resurrection only happened for a time. Those people were going to die. Every single one of them. Jesus was raised differently. He was raised in an immortal body, imperishable. It is finished. He is the firstborn from the dead, from all creation. That's why it says that, because we could say, wait a second, firstborn from the dead? All these other people rose from the dead. We could point to them back, but none of them ever continued to live forever. Jesus did, and Jesus does, even to this day. As a matter of fact, at the time when Lazarus was dead and Jesus goes to Mary and Martha and they're saying, you know, I know, I know that Lazarus will be raised on the last day. Jesus proclaimed, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Though a man die, if he believe in me, he shall yet live. We're going to be raised with this type of immortal body and it's different. It, it just appears in places and it's fully flesh and blood, and it's got the memory, obviously, of the life that we had here, for his has the scars in his hands that are still there. And yet, it's a promise for you and me that God is going to be with us. He's preparing a place for us. Told the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. John chapter 14 where he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I shall come back so that you may be where I am. In my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you so you will be with me. And then we read this great promise in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 5, when it says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among men, and he shall dwell with them. They shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things is, is passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Did you catch what was there? That God is going to wipe every tear from our eye. That God's dwelling place is going to be with man. That we, in the resurrection, are going to be with Jesus and we are going to be able to touch him as his disciples touched him. We are going to be able to embrace him as his his disciples embraced him. We are going to be able to worship him forever as his disciples worshiped him. And it's going to be real. And it's going to be amazing. That physical touch of God to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is with us. That's the reason why Jesus was born. That's the reason why he rose from the dead. So that he would be with us forever. Or more accurately, we could be with him forever. By believing on his name. This is such incredible good news. We're going to live forever with the God who became one of us. Not standing far off. See, Jesus tells us in John chapter 14 that if anybody loves me, he'll obey my commands. And me and my Father, we will come and we will live in him. There is a possibility for us even this day to be touched by the risen Savior, by the risen Christ. Because of what he did on the cross and that his rising from the dead means that you and I can be transformed and changed right now forever in eternity and someday When we are raised, when he comes back or we go to him, we will be raised imperishably like he is. And we will be able to touch the face of the one who redeemed us. That's an amazing promise. You know, it's it's crazy to think, but I've been a Christian, I've been a believer in Christ about 28 years. It was 28 years ago, around the Easter season, that I gave my life to Jesus when I recognized that he truly rose from the dead, that he truly died for my sins, and he truly rose from the dead. And I'm telling you, honestly, when I came to Jesus, he totally transformed my life. It doesn't mean I've never sinned since then or haven't struggled with sin, haven't messed up. But I'm a radically different person than I was the day before that happened. Radically different. Because the presence of God being touched by the risen Christ changed me from the inside out. I have something to look forward to. And I have a job to do. As a believer in Christ, the resurrection, the celebration is the beginning for us. It's the beginning of us sharing the good news of what Jesus has done for us. Because someday, one day, we are going to be in his presence forever. And nobody's going to be able to take that away from us. And I can't wait for that to happen. Until then, I want to take as many with me as I can. Because Jesus died for them all. And so as a believer, Easter is a launching point 
for our belief. It's a launching point of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a hope that someday, one day, we will dwell forever with him, unhindered by this sin that he has already purchased by his body on the cross for us, being raised from the dead, showing that he had the power over sin and over death. And for some of you today, maybe watching for the first time, hearing this message, and maybe understanding for the first time the significance of Jesus' death and resurrection, he died for you. That if it were just you, he would have come and died for you so that you would have the opportunity to live forever with him. But it requires two things of us. One is admitting that we're a sinner and turning away from that sin so that we might follow Jesus, recognizing that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And life is found in no other but him. But the life that is found in him is eternal. It's eternal. See, Jesus can't give to us something that he doesn't have. In order for him to give us eternal life, he himself must have eternal life. And that's why when death was shown that it was a defeated enemy, that death could not conquer Jesus, he showed that in him and in him alone is eternal life. And only in believing in him do we get the promise of that eternal life. Not through anything we've done, but all through what he's done on the cross and raising victoriously from the dead. And one day, someday, we're going to have that physical touch of Jesus to each one of us, wiping away our tears, embracing us in the gates of heaven to see the place that he's prepared for us, that he wants every man to go For God wants no one to perish, but all to come to repentance. Someday we'll have that physical touch of Jesus in our redeemed bodies. But today, today, you and I can be touched by the risen Christ, by inviting him into our hearts, by reminding ourselves of why this day is so important. We are going to be raised imperishable someday. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Because Easter is the demonstration of what all of us have to look forward to. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this wonderful truth the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you have come down in all of history to wrap yourself in flesh, to touch your creation, O Lord, to make us imperishable like your son Jesus Christ, the firstborn of the dead. For all who believe in him, that he has a place for us. God, if there are any today who do not know you, may this be the day of salvation for them. May they recognize the grandeur and the good news of Jesus Christ, that it's not about our sin. It is about the redemption that comes through Jesus and him alone. We get so focused on on the sin portion, we don't look at the gloriousness of Jesus dying on the cross for our sin, that it's worth every price, every repentance is such an easy thing to give up. Because I get Jesus in return. 
God, help us to see this wonderful gift in that way. And God, for those of your children who know you, who celebrate you this day, help us anew to recognize this good news and spread it to everyone we know that one day, someday, we will be never separated from you again. You are always with us in spirit, and someday you will be with us physically present forever, never taken away. We praise you for that. We thank you in the name of Jesus because he's risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. God bless you all. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day. It is truly a joyous time. May God bless you the rest of this day and share the good news. Find ways of sharing the good news amidst this quarantine. Find new ways of doing that because it's too important a message not to. Not to share to the world around us because Jesus died for every single one of them. And he raised to give the hope for the newness of life. God bless you all. Happy Easter. Talk to you later.